0: Hello once again everybody and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, April 5th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com are a chat about Baylor versus Gonzaga, wrap up the college basketball season, then talk a little bit of Major League Baseball as well as Kyle, a very good baseball handicapper. We'll get some of his thoughts, some of his betting strategies here to finish up this last edition of ATS Radio with Kyle For this season here, we'll be doing just the betters box beginning next week on Mondays and Thursdays. So for one last time here with Kyle Hunter of huntersportspicks.com. Over at ATS.io, my daily MLB article is posted every single day. Lots of hard work, lots of write-ups, lots of analysis in those. If you can soldier through the early part of the season where I'm laying a lot of groundwork for the starting pitchers, my handicapping strategy, the stats I use to handicap, so on and so forth, it will get more streamlined as we get some sample size, as we get into the season, as we get some actual stats to use uh, in the breakdowns of these games. So stick with it here in the early going, talking about a lot of different things. Like I said, laying that foundation. But as we get deeper into the season, it uh, will get a little bit shorter in nature. i have a Masters preview for you today over at the website. Still doing the NBA and NHL situational betting articles. We got picks and predictions from our talented cast of writers. Lots of good stuff over at ATS.io for you to check out. And, of course, you can see all of it in the ATS app as well, which you can download from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. A bet tracker, an odd screen, all the articles from the website, a stats database, premium model subscriptions available, lots of good stuff in that app. So you can download that today for your Android or iOS device. With that, we bring on professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Kyle, how's it going today, my friend?
1: Going well, man. Uh, let's do this thing one more time.
0: One more time here. And, uh, you know, we got the game that I think we wanted, too. You know, we, we kind of talked about how the upsets in the first and second round were great. And, you know, it's kind of cool. You get the Cinderella story and, you know, the underdogs and the double-digit seeds and everything, but... I don't want to see any of those teams in the national championship. I want to see teams, the caliber of Baylor and Gonzaga. And that's what we've got here with probably, you know, throughout the course of the year, the consensus number one and number two teams in the country. So this is the game we all wanted the game that we kind of deserve. I think.
1: Yeah, this was uh, first. The the UCLA Gonzaga game was a tremendous game on Saturday night. You know, that was my favorite college basketball game in quite a while. Love finishes like that. UCLA played really well. And I want to say we need to give credit to Mick Cronin for the coaching job he did with that team. Um, You know, maybe I underrated him a little bit. Uh, Good defensive minded coach. uh, And then obviously it helps when you're making so many jumpers like they were. Uh, But you know, UCLA put a great effort into that game. Gonzaga pulls off the win. Now the turnaround here quick to the to the Monday night game and Baylor-Gonzaga. Like you said, I think this is the game we all wanted. You know, uh, the first thing I want to say here is uh, there's a f- couple things that are really interesting to me about this. There's 51% of the bets are on Gonzaga and 51% of the money's on Gonzaga. So we see no split here. Um, so it looks like the odds makers did a good job. And minus four, four and a half, most of them four and a half at this point. Uh, you can lay four at some different books, especially if you're gonna willing to pay minus 115. You know, this was minus six and a half on the look ahead lines. There were a couple minus sixes on look Aheads as well. So we've seen about a two point adjustment here. Um, you know, I'm not surprised. You know, we remember what we just saw last. Gonzaga finally had a really close game. Uh, Baylor blew out Houston. I think that was more about Houston being really bad than anything else. Houston really looked poor on offense in that game. Um, Baylor was never really troubled in a game like that. Gonzaga, I don't really think Gonzaga played that bad against UCLA. I think UCLA really played up. Um, You know, this is a, a Gonzaga team that I believe has won every single game by 10 points or more other than that last game. So, Gonzaga has been beating everybody pretty easily and then they finally have that really good test. There's two ways you could look at that. You could say Gonzaga plays a really tight game. That's that's great for them to be in a close game like this. Or you could say, you know, you have a quick turnaround from a epic finish. It's hard to um, you know, be focused right from the beginning. The problem I have with that narrative is this is a national title game. You know, it's hard to have a letdown spot in the national title game, you know, because they know this game is this is it. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how you view that. But I, I think it's interesting that Gonzaga has had so many games where they've never had a tight game. Then they play that game that goes into overtime. Now, a really quick turnaround to play Baylor, uh, you know, as far as far as momentum or situational spot, do you do you see this as any edge toward either team?
0: No, I I don't think so. You know, I I think that for Gonzaga, I mean, look, you know, if you kind of look at some of the advanced analytics and some of the things about that box score, Gonzaga should have won that game by a lot more. I mean, they forced UCLA into a lot of tough shots that the Bruins just happened to make and kudos to them for that. One other game Gonzaga did play to single digits. They beat West Virginia by five back on Mm -hmm. December 2nd, but West Virginia had 33 free throw attempts to 21 for Gonzaga outscored the Bulldogs by 12 at the free throw line. And also Kispert only played 32 minutes. He had four fouls. Watson fouled out. Timmy fouled out eventually in that game, too. So Gonzaga was kind of in some foul trouble throughout that one. It was a very whistle happy game, 48 personal fouls in that one. But it was a game where West Virginia was close because of free throws more so than anything. Gonzaga had 35 shot attempts at the rim in that game against West Virginia, 25 of 35. So Gonzaga, that was a five-point game, but certainly from the box score, it, it wasn't as close as that final score would suggest. This one was, to a degree, and one of the things that's been a problem for Gonzaga here so far in this tournament, and I did write about this, I did a preview for this game over at bangthebook.com, I let the others at ATS, i write up the preview for this one, but one of the things I did talk about with Gonzaga here in this tournament so far, their turnover percentage on defense. and 13.5. They have not forced turnovers in this tournament. One thing that Baylor does and has done all year is force turnovers. Now, they had a low turnover percentage against Houston, but that was a game where they took that thing over in the first half. It was not a game at halftime or anything like that. Baylor, 31.2%. That was the Hartford game. But then 21.8, 27.8 against Villanova, 21.9 and 18.8. That's the big question I have in this game here for Gonzaga. If they lose the turnover battle, and it does appear that they have the chance of doing that, how much does that negatively impact their ability, not only to cover the spread, but to possibly win this game? We know they're very efficient on offense, but so is Baylor. So that's the big question that I have here tonight is, does Gonzaga force some turnovers or are they able to maintain control of the basketball like they have in most of their games this season? Yeah, it's a good point.
1: And I have some numbers on that one. Uh, Baylor's first in the nation in points per game off turnovers, 21.4 points per game off turnovers. Gonzaga only allows 10.2 points per game off their giveaways, which is in the 97th percentile in the country. I think there's a pretty significant, um, caveat to that though is Gonzaga really does not face many teams who use ball pressure to the degree that Baylor does you know Gonzaga plays in the West Coast Conference where virtually no one I mean nobody presses and nobody even really plays the type of defense that Baylor does sometimes in past years the way that Gonzaga has lost in the NCAA tournament has been because they do struggle with pressure um, you know, with, with turnovers. And I don't think Gonzaga will force a lot of turnovers in this game. The question is, are they going to turn it over a lot? Suggs is a good ball handler. Uh, you know, I think Suggs is a upgrade over what they've had uh, in a lot of the years in the past. So I don't know that Gonzaga will turn it over a bunch here, but I do think they'll probably lose the turnover battle in this game. Uh, you know, the other key matchup I would say is, You know, offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding. Baylor's offensive rebounding was great against uh, Houston. Remember at the beginning of that game, I think you even texted me something early. I mean, Baylor was getting second, third chance points nonstop against the Houston team that's usually dominating on the boards. It wasn't happening in that game. The Zags have been really good on the defensive glass. I think that's a really key matchup as well. You know, if you look at Gonzaga's defense in the last game against UCLA, I don't know that that defense was really that bad. I've seen some people talking about the fact that UCLA put up that many points. You know, obviously Baylor's going to score a ton of points on them. Look, the total's really high for a reason. I I think, you know, no wonder it's 159.5 or 159. These are two great offenses, but. You know, UCLA was wildly efficient in that last game. Uh, Johnny Juzang was just absolutely going crazy out there. He looks like a future NBA player to me. Um, A lot of those mid-range jumpers and long twos, UCLA was taking some tough shots and just making them. I don't know that that was as much about Gonzaga's defense being bad as it was. UCLA was just really good offensively in that game. And Baylor, they were excellent on offense against Houston, uh, you know, that game was 58 possessions. They scored 78 points. So 1.34 points per possession. You know, clearly both these teams have the opportunity to shoot very well. I don't I don't uh, think anybody could argue with the total being so high. But at the same time, Adam, you know me well enough to know that I can't take over 159 or 159 in a football dome in a national championship game. So, uh, you know, that, that's just too high for me to take an over. Uh, under or nothing on that. You know, when when you look at the side here in this one, I think there are a few other things that, that interest me. Baylor's 59th in strength of schedule, according to Sagarin, Gonzaga's 81st. Uh, we talked about Baylor's defense and how after their COVID pause, they were really weak defensively. In the tournament, Baylor's corrected that in a big way. If you remember back at the beginning of the year, Baylor's defense was second or third in the country in defensive efficiency, and and they looked tremendous on both ends. They look really good on defense again right now. So I think that if you look at the numbers now and say Baylor's the 27th best defense, according to Ken Palm, in adjusted efficiency, I think they're better than that. I really do. I think that's that's, – uh, a bit skewed of a stat because they, they played so poorly right off that COVID pause. You know, Gonzaga should be able to score here. And one concern I have for Baylor, Baylor, I've talked about it before. Baylor is not good in defending in the low post. They're not very good at defending within five feet of the hoop. Baylor ranks in the 38th percentile defending post-up offense. Gonzaga's first in the nation. You know, I, I would think we'd see a steady diet of Drew Timmy getting the ball down low here can Baylor slow it down enough? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, You know, I think that on the Baylor side, Baylor has been excellent also at contesting uh, jumpers. They've contested 57% of opponents catch and shoot jumpers this year. Gonzaga has had only 29% of their catch and shoot jumpers contested. According to synergy, that's fewest in the country. So I guess the question there, Adam is, is that more about Gonzaga's passing ability, which I think Gonzaga is the best passing team in the country. They really move the ball around really well. Is it more about that or is it more about they haven't played defenses as good as Baylor? I think there's some of both. I mean, Gonzaga is so good offensively. They're still going to get quite a few open jumpers, but you would think there'd be a few less open jumpers than they're at least used to because 29% contested, you would think Baylor do a better job than that. So I think there's a few interesting matchups there. And, and I know that I'm throwing out quite a few stats here for the listeners, but you know, when there's one game like this, we try to go as in detail as we possibly can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of good things here. A, a lot of matchups and it's sort of, you know, kind of a discussion on what you value more, you know, I mean, do you value Baylor's turnover percentage. Okay. I get it. But at the same time, Gonzaga doesn't really turn the basketball over. Was that a byproduct, as you said, of playing in the West coast conference, a league that is well down the board. I think it was, it was like 27th or something like that uh, of the conferences here in turnover percentage on defense. So they just don't 24th, actually. They don't force a lot of turnovers. So is Gonzaga's low turnover rate a byproduct of that? Or is it exactly what you said? They're such a phenomenal passing team that they can take care of the basketball. They have multiple ball handlers. Suggs is obviously the primary one, but. You know, they don't throw possessions away. They know where everybody is. They play with great rhythm and flow and continuity on offense. So maybe Baylor doesn't force as many takeaways. And if Baylor has to play defense in the half court, well, they're outside the top 100 in both three-point percentage defense and two-point percentage defense. Their defense was propped up significantly by that turnover rate. If they don't force the turnovers in this game, does Gonzaga just get a lot of clean looks, a lot of the shots that they want to take? Then the question, of course, for Gonzaga is, you know, what do they do if Baylor is getting those extra possessions on the offensive glass? What happens in that situation? Are they able to play good post defense? If Baylor is getting offensive rebounds, does that put Timmy into foul trouble? If it does, that takes away a big part of Gonzaga's offense. So I think live betting is is a really good idea for this game to sort of see how things play out, to make sure that Timmy's not in foul trouble, you know, like he was in that game against West Virginia, where if that's the case and Gonzaga goes from a post-oriented offense to a jump shot oriented offense, well, that probably plays really well into Baylor's hands. So I think there are a lot of intriguing things about this game. As I said, it's the game I wanted to see. And the one thing I will say here with regards to the spread, and you kind of alluded to this already, this was six and a half based on all the look ahead lines Haslametric said, you know, look, I've got Gonzaga a seven-point favorite over Baylor on a neutral. That was kind of the number we were looking at. Anywhere from six to six and a half, possibly as high as seven. Okay, well, Baylor blows out Houston, who played in a horrific offensive conference. That's one thing I did get right on last week's show, was Baylor minus the points. And shout-out to our buddy, Kiev O'Neill, who owes me not even just a beer, but probably a six-pack with how that game went down with our side bet. But I think that was more about Houston. You know, I think that was a game that said a lot more about Houston than it said about Baylor. Well, Gonzaga plays UCLA to this three-point game, where UCLA goes 17 of 25 in the mid-range to keep that game close, be in it, force overtime, of course. That's a massive outlier. Did what happened in the Final Four really necessitate a two-point adjustment to this line? I don't think so.
1: No, I don't I don't think so either. And um I think I'll have to bet at least something on Gonzaga in this game. I haven't decided exactly what how I will do it, whether it's going to be, you know, live bet or pregame, take the minus four and lay the minus 115. Um, you know, I think Gonzaga has proven themselves time and time again this year, and I don't think they have as many weaknesses as does Baylor. Now, a coaching matchup, let's just say um, Scott Drew versus Mark Few. I think Scott Drew, we've probably given him too hard of a time here in some of the past years, but Drew really turned around this program. I mean, this program was in bad shape when he got there. So he's an excellent recruiter, obviously a pretty good in-game coach as well. I think Mark Few is probably a little bit better coach than is um, Scott Drew, but, you know, I think it's a good coaching matchup. Certainly one other question I had for you, Adam, is I'm wondering what you think about the tempo of this game, because we know what Gonzaga wants to do. Gonzaga wants this thing to be 80 possessions. Does Baylor want to play really fast? Or is Baylor going to try to slow this game down a little bit? I think it'll be really interesting to see because if I was Baylor, I don't think I want to play this game in transition nonstop. Baylor's transition defense isn't that great. Um, Baylor does too, too much going after offensive rebounds and doesn't get back because of that. So if if they continue to crash the offensive boards that much and not get their guards back, Gonzaga is going to beat them there. Uh, I think that Baylor would be wise to try to slow this game down a bit and win it with their defense, which has been very good here of late. I don't know. I'm wondering what you think about the tempo in this game. I know Gonzaga wants to play really fast, Baylor has played two of their last three games against Villanova and Houston to 57 and 58 possessions. I know that's partially uh, their opponent, but even their game against Arkansas was only 68 possessions and Arkansas is just about as fast as Gonzaga. So I think Baylor looks like they've tried to slow things down a little bit. I'm kind of curious if you think, does Baylor try to slow this one down or not?
0: Yeah, I think it's a good question. I mean, I think you have to. I I think if you're trying to beat a Gonzaga offense in this game, I think you have to try to slow it down as much as possible. And something else that I was just looking at here, I was kind of running through some of the charts on Torvik's website. You know, we talked about it already, where Gonzaga shares the basketball really well. You know, I'm sure for you with a coaching background, you love watching this Gonzaga offense. Just the way they share the ball, the way they get so many clean looks, the way they get the ball into the post and all of that. And something for Baylor that I noticed here, and even in this NCAA tournament where Villanova's got a pretty high assist rate, but Gillespie is the facilitator on offense, he's got far and away the highest assist rate on that team, and he wasn't in that game. Wisconsin doesn't stand out in that department. Arkansas really doesn't. They they have a lot of guys that try to create their own shots. They don't really share the ball particularly well, and neither does Houston. Gonzaga does that. And so to me, if I'm looking at this game and I'm Scott Drew, I'm thinking about the pace we have to play at in the defensive half court is going to take a lot of energy for us. We don't see a lot of teams in the Big 12 that share the basketball well. One of the best teams that shared the basketball was Kansas State, and they sucked offensively. So I think Baylor's running around a lot in the defensive half court. So if I'm Scott Drew, I have no interest in playing a transition game against Gonzaga because we're going to burn a lot of energy on defense. So we're going to slow the game down on offense as much as we possibly can. So I think Baylor's game plan here is to try and play at a pretty slow pace in this game, trying to kind of conserve their energy as much as they can for the offensive half court. And that's another reason why I kind of like Gonzaga here. I just, I think that this style of play will make Baylor uncomfortable and they will be running around a lot in the defensive half court. Because Gonzaga just shares the ball so well that maybe it forces Baylor in the second half of this game to kind of speed up a little bit if they're not having any defensive success. But I think they're going to try and get this game to a crawl as much as they can.
1: I would think so. Um, You know, it would surprise me if they want this to be an absolute track meet. I don't think that's their best path to victory in a game like this. Um, I did want to bring up, too, that I had a uh, listener – uh, send me a message and ask about the first half numbers, uh, ATS for both teams. Gonzaga's 19 and 10 ATS in the first half. I don't think anybody's too surprised by that. Baylor 14 and 11 ATS in the first half. Uh, second half wise, uh, Gonzaga 14 and 15, Baylor 8 and 13 and 3 ATS. I don't know if we should read too much in the second half because both of these teams have been so far ahead in most of their games that the second half didn't matter too much. But from a first half standpoint, Gonzaga has been very good. Obviously, a lot of those were against teams that weren't very good. So as far as the first half in this game, the only lean I would have is the under, uh, you know, 75 and a half is a pretty high total um, in the first half of a game where, uh, you know, this is in a, a football stadium with the tough shooting backdrop. And, and like I said, I realized that these two teams could knock down three after three and it wouldn't be totally stunning. It's just, this number is really high. So uh, I have to lean that way. As far as the side, um, like you, I, I, I kind of like Gonzaga minus the points on the full game. I, I don't know that I want to bet the first half on Gonzaga. There are some questions as to how they would play in the first half after such a big game in the last game. And, you know, I, I think Baylor, a team that's probably going to be much better on defense than what Gonzaga has been used to. Now, is that going to be enough? I I don't know that it will be. I think Gonzaga is is a deeper team, uh, a more balanced team than is Baylor. So, uh, you know, my strongest lean on the side here is the full game on Gonzaga. And like I said, if I had to take something in the first half, I do see some 76s. So uh, under 76 in the first half would be my lean as well.
0: Yeah, and again, as I look at this, and and this is an angle that I didn't really consider writing up the guide, but it's something I'm thinking about here now. Kansas State, 31st in the country in assist rate, but also 286th in effective field goal percentage. So they share the ball, but they don't make a whole lot of shots. That's a big problem for them. Uh, TCU, a team that did okay in the assist department, but other than that, in the Big 12, just not a lot of teams with a high assist rate on their made shots. You know, a lot of these teams kind of play sort of isolation basketball, and maybe that helps a team like Baylor, you know, not only with the turnovers, kind of forcing guys into bad spots that are overhandling the basketball, but it also, you know, to that end, as you talked about, Baylor's bad at post-defense. A lot of teams in the Big 12 don't really run a lot of post-offense. And one of the things that we've talked about a lot here throughout this NCAA tournament And something I mentioned I will carry over into future tournaments is that teams that are made uncomfortable, teams that are taken out of their comfort zones, have really struggled in this tournament. And it was a big hallmark for a lot of the teams in the Big Ten. And one of the big reasons why most of them were out before the first weekend was even over. So I think that there's a very good chance that Gonzaga makes Baylor uncomfortable here makes Baylor play a style of basketball that they have not seen a whole lot and one that may fluster them a little bit on the defensive end where they have had their challenges here not necessarily in this tournament but they have had their challenges in the second half of the regular season so for me it is Gonzaga you find the minus four you pay the 115 you get the minus four and a half at reduced juice something like that that is the side I will have for this one not really looking too much at the total because we don't know what kind of foul fest we're going to get we don't know how this game will be called and all of that but I I think that even though Baylor is as good of a team as they are I think this is a pretty decent matchup for Gonzaga all things considered
1: yeah I don't disagree and like we said you know uh, a two-point line adjustment at the end of the season is quite a bit you know it doesn't sound like a lot to people but We've seen these teams that much throughout the course of the season. We kind of already knew what they were. Gonzaga plays one tight game, which probably shouldn't have been as close as it was other than UCLA making a lot of contested long twos. I don't think we can adjust the line two points based on that. So uh, I'm going to go with Gonzaga as well here. Uh, I'll have at least some money on Gonzaga in this one lean the under as well. So um, you know, like I said, that's just uh, uh, not a numbers play as much, a, a leaning to the under as as it is. You know, I know that this angle is done well in the long term. If you take a really high under in a neutral site game uh, in an important game, the under's done very well. So it, it's not one that you can get excited to bet between these two because they're certainly capable of a ninety-five to ninety-two game. But this is a really high total, so um, I, I lean that way, and I like Gonzaga as well hopefully we see that great game that everybody's predicting because uh, you know, we've been talking about this game for a long time. And you remember earlier in the season when they were supposed to play each other and now we finally get to see it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's an excellent point. I forgot they were supposed to play each other. So yeah, looking forward to this one tonight to be sure. And uh, you know, as I just mentioned, going to try to look at these angles a lot more for upcoming NCAA tournaments of, you know, teams having to play a style that they don't see in conference play. And I've talked about how, One of the things that I've hypothesized here about the Pac-12 is that that conference had success because there are a lot of different styles of play in that league. You know, you see a zone from Washington. You see teams that kind of push the tempo like the Arizona schools. You see teams that really slow it to a crawl like UCLA. You see teams that have a lot of post height like USC. You see a lot of different things in the Pac-12. In the Big Ten, a lot of boilerplate teams where it's really a question of talent A lot of them play kind of similar styles and all of that. So you get the NCAA tournament and maybe you don't match up as well, or it's something you haven't seen and you don't adjust well enough in that one and done format. So even though it was a weird, unconventional Indianapolis bubble tournament, there are some things that I've kind of pulled out of it uh, for some of these future NCAA tournaments. Kyle, what about you? Is there something you're taking away from this year's NCAA tournament specifically that you're going to try and keep in mind more in the future?
1: You know, I think, I think we should weight more heavily, a uh, team, how they defend the paint and how they score in, in the paint, because um, I don't know that we've weighed enough into, you know, these teams that dominate in the paint. Uh, it's, it's a team like Gonzaga. I mean, they're t- plus 21.8 points per game or something like that in the paint. I think Baylor's plus eight and a half or something. So they've been good. But I think um, how a team defends really close to the basket, I know it sounds simple, and it sounds like we should have, you know, weighted it really heavily, but it's something that uh, I don't think we've weighed heavily enough. You know, we, we talk about the wanting either a contested or an uncontested three or a shot near the hoop and not the mid range jumpers. However, you know, a team like UCLA was great in the mid range. uh, And obviously there can be some teams that kind of stand out and are not part of the pack uh, analytically, but I do think that how a team defends the paint is really important because there's two things that usually happen there. Either uh, a team is not very good in the paint because they don't have very good help defense. And we've seen some of that in the NCAA tournament. Some teams, you know, a guy gets beat and that's it. You know, nobody comes to help. That, that's really frustrating if you're watching, especially as somebody who's tried to, to coach some in the past. Uh, you know, it's frustrating to just watch a guy just get to the hoop and nobody stops the ball. On the other side, the other thing that makes your paint defense bad is when you give up a ton of second chance points. And I've talked about that before. I still think that rebounding margin is extremely important. I think that looking at how a team does in the rebounding margin and how a team defends inside the paint is really important. I know that a lot of people want to say, well, three-point defense or three-point offense is still you know, so much more important because Uh, you know, so many more threes are being taken than before. That's true. I'm not saying that that's not true, but I think that these teams that give up so many points in the paint are at such a disadvantage, especially come the NCAA tournament time, because, you know, if, if you're not making that outside, outside shot, if you can dominate in the paint, or if you're getting second chance points, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you can still win those games. Uh, You just have to be decent defensively there. Some of these teams that have been so poor, defensively near the basket, just have no chance to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. I think that's something that I need to wait a little bit more heavily coming into next season.
0: So you and I have done this show for a long time. We go back to 2013 doing our college football and then our, also our college basketball shows. So you knew this question was coming. At the end of the season here, you know, in a very weird season with the COVID pauses, you know, uh, the back-to-backs on the schedule playing the same team, not really much in the form of attendance. Very unconventional, different kind of college basketball season. But with that in mind, is there something you feel like you did really well here for this college basketball season that you will carry over into the future? You
1: know, Adam, I, I did know this question was coming. And I, to be honest, I don't I don't really like to think about this season too much because it's just not been a good one for me. So, um, you know, I, I can't say that I did anything too well other than get a ton of closing line value. And, you know, but
0: that is important. I mean, that's huge.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It's just, you know, they've gone to the CLV bonfire. So, you know, those are frustrating. Um, My closing line value this year was better than it has been the last two seasons. My results were worse than they've been the last two seasons. I've been a coin flipper this year. And we know that's not a good thing, especially when you're paying, you know, minus 110 or whatever the juice is. So um, I've had a disappointing season. Certainly uh, it's, it's bothered me a lot. I hate for the clients that got involved and, and have done poorly this year. My long-term record in college basketball is excellent. I still think, I, you know, I have an edge when it comes to college basketball. Um, and uh, that doesn't change, you know, based on one poor season at the same time, like I said, it's frustrating. I do think that I'm still good when it comes to market entry and knowing when to get the best price. You know, I feel like that's a strength of mine across the board from sport to sport is knowing the market and knowing what the what side somebody's going to want to bet or knowing what total you know somebody's going to want to bet the under here. somebody's going to want to bet the over, so I want to grab it at a certain time. I think that's probably my biggest strength. Um, and it's continued to be that way this year. Like I said, unfortunately, that hasn't mattered in the results and that's that's what matters to most people in the end. Uh, you know, we know that the process is important. And if you're getting that CLV in the long term, it's going to be better. But still sucks for the people that were on board, and I do apologize for that. I, I I hate that. And Adam, you know me well enough to know that you know I've had quite a few long nights thinking about this and being pissed off about the fact that I didn't do better.
0: But with that being said, having all that closing line value, do you wish you would have bet more? Because obviously you had a good feel on the market. You know, you the way that you were rating your teams was good. You know, because when you get closing line value and you kind of have that wisdom of crowds methodology and all that here with the betting market you, know, you were getting line equity you were getting line value and it didn't play out the way that you had hoped and and that's the variance element you know of betting on sports but do you wish maybe you would have bet more
1: well I mean I, more, and know, by I that
0: I mean more games not more money per game. I was gonna
1: say I, I for a second I was like well no they lost Yeah. so no I, I <laughs> <laughs> so no not as far as the game but yeah if you if you look at my um you know, my leans that didn't become plays, I should have bet more games this year. And the biggest time that I need to bet more games is early in the season. So one thing I'm going to change for future seasons is, and, you know, people who are listening to this should know that come next year when I'm betting college basketball, I'm going to bet a lot of games in November and December, and then I'm going to back off the uh, the volume later in the season uh general i think november and december i just crushed it in closing line value and i did okay results wise then i you know i had a bad january and february it seems like that's that's how i've been for several years in a row and then march was just you know okay but i find that my closing line value is so big early in the season and i've had a lot of leans that i didn't play that i would have really done extremely well at the beginning of the season so yes I think I probably should have bet more games. We've talked about this before that part of the reason I don't bet more games is because I am, you know, releasing these to a lot of clients who if I go, uh, you know, two and 12 in a day with 14 plays, these guys, uh, they can't handle that, you know, and, and if I can, and they say, you know, I'm going to move on, you know, go the next day, you know, bankroll, whether you have to re up or whether you just, you know, you've done well enough with, uh, your bankroll that you're still able to keep going. Uh, I think it's important that, you know, people realize that everybody's going to hit some of those stretches. You know, I hit more of these this year than I would have wanted by far and more than I would have expected. But I do think that I should have played more games. I, I think that in the long run, people who have an edge that bet quite a few games are likely to be the ones that do the best in college basketball. There's just so many games so many under the radar games that I do think that's the best way to go about this. I don't like the theory that, you know, you just try to pick one game. Adam, if I, you know, if I had a dollar for every time somebody's told me, uh, Kyle, here's what you need to do. You need to take one game, the one game that you're most confident about that sure winner, just take that one game and then just, that's it. Just take the one game. I mean, you know, I've joked about this, you know, talking with other people before. Yeah. I'll just take the one that I know is going to win and then that's it. You know, I mean, it's, it sounds so easy, right? But it's not, you know, it's, that's not the way it goes. And I don't think that, you know, trying to pick one or two or three games is necessarily going to be better in the long run. In fact, I think when you have an edge, betting more games would, would make more sense. But as far as the biggest change, I think I should make, I think I should bet a lot more games very early in the season and then um, back off on my volume in the middle
0: and end of the season. See, and that's such an interesting and challenging dynamic too, because, College football is going on, and the NFL, and and, and the NFL is a market that I'm not going to say it handicaps itself because it's it's really not that simplistic of a process. But you know, relative to the time you spend on college football and, and college basketball, the NFL is is certainly nominal. But also, like in November, you've got all this shit going on. I mean, you've I know that you you occasionally throw out an NHL play. You've got the NBA sometimes too. But you know, college football season is is still going on, and and as we know. In this business, if you're a multi-sport handicapper, college football and NFL are like way up at the top of the board and then everything else in terms of interest level, in terms of action, handle, all that kind of thing. It's all about football in this business when it's football season. And so that's a very difficult thing too of, you know, kind of weighing that balance. But at the same time, if November college basketball is where you're getting line value November and December – then that is absolutely something that you need to focus on more. And it's easier said than done, certainly with everything else that's going on, but that's the big thing here. And, and we joke about this and I talked about it a lot, you know, up until the pandemic actually did stop all the sports. I just wanted two weeks of no sports, yeah. just not having to give a shit about sport because it will burn you out. There is no break. There is no downtime. And, you know, especially for me as somebody who does baseball the way that I do and, covering everything out, golf and NASCAR and all this other shit, there, there is no break. And, and it is very hard to sit there and say that, you know, in November, I'm going to bet more college basketball. And then November rolls around and you've got, you know, eight college football games on a Saturday, 20 college basketball games on a Saturday. You got 28 bets in play. It, it is emotionally draining when you're doing so many other things. So it, it's it's a very tough industry man and, and so you know yeah you had a bad year and it happens and, and there are a lot of reasons and a lot of explanations as to why but you know for people that I have people all the time that email me and they're like you know Adam how do I get a start in the business you know how, how do I you know get myself to a point where I can make a living betting sports and I'm like how much time do you have for an answer because there are a lot of layers to this business to say the least and that's why, you know, I, I try to push you guys that I have on the show of, you know, that soul searching process of, of what should I do differently? What worked? What do I need to hammer on more? And it, it always winds up being easier said than done. And, and I hope that you do follow through with it because I do think that you're, you have big advantages in November and December when other people are worried about other things and you can focus in on college basketball. I think you got to do it, man. I really think you do.
1: I'm absolutely going to bet more games next November. Like you said, this is far easier said than done because, you know, a lot of times I get to that point in the season and I say, okay, I'll just kind of edge my way into college basketball because I have to focus on college football right now. I have so many clients in college football. Look, I mean, I'm still going to focus on college football quite a bit. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm not going to do college football. At the same time, I have to jump on these college basketball at the beginning of the season because there've been many seasons here recently where, I would have been up a lot more at the beginning of the year if I'd have been betting more games. And I, I don't think that I can uh, continue to think that, you know, well, you know, I'll pick up my volume later in the season. Well, picking up volume later in the season. Well, I don't think it's necessarily bad because I, you know, I I do think that by beating the closing line as much as I have, uh, you wouldn't expect my record to be as poor as it was, especially in January and February. But uh, when it comes to November, November uh, college hoops most people don't care about college hoops then like you said and I'm going to need to make sure that I care a lot about college hoops during that time so uh, in the future that's going to be a a major goal of mine is to just fire away early in the season and then when everybody else is picking up their volume later in the season I'm probably uh,
0: slowing down a little bit because I know the
1: market's more efficient.
0: Yeah I think that makes sense and obviously this year I think you probably would have attacked November college basketball more but like we didn't even know if there was going to be a season yeah. or this who year was looking to play yeah. or or anything like that. So, hey, look, man, every every year is unique, and obviously this season had a lot more challenges than than any other season in, in our lifetimes. But you know, again, I mean, I, I think that you know we we've we've all kind of found out a lot of things about ourselves about you know not only how we conduct ourselves professionally but also personally uh, over this last year. And you know, wh- whatever changes you can make for the better in, in any. You know, aspect of your life I think makes sense and, and for you if you can attack something where you feel like you do have that edge and you know, get some of that swagger back a little bit coming off the tough year I guess absolutely something that you definitely have to take a look at as I said not much downtime but I guess things do kind of slow down for you a little bit here uh, with the major league baseball season you're a very solid baseball handicapper once again you look a lot at totals as you tend to do uh, in a lot of these sports betting markets here but Let's just start in terms of some overall strategy, you know, because in college basketball, you might have 115, 120, 140 games on a Saturday in baseball. You've got up to 15. I mean, that's the max unless you get a doubleheader or something like that. So, you know, do you you look to carry kind of a lower volume approach? Are you looking to play any edge that you have? How's that sort of play out for you with Major League Baseball?
1: You know, I, I've backed my volume off a bit in, in um, major league baseball compared to what I did years ago as well. I would say on an average day with 15 games, I probably have three bets, uh, something like that as my normal, maybe even two or three, uh, the games, uh, if I really like them four or five, uh, I, don't think I ever have more than five bets in a day nowadays. Uh, you know, in in Major League Baseball, I do want to say too, as far as my strategy in Major League Baseball, I actually have done really well on sides in Major League Baseball. I went back and looked at this closely um, a few weeks ago before the season started. I've done better in uh, on money line bets in, in Major League Baseball than I have on totals, and that's different than in most of the sports. Certainly, now I've done well on totals. I've just done even better on money line bets. I think that uh money line sport is far different to handicap than a spread sport. Um, Adam, you know this with the Major League Baseball and, and hockey and things like that. It's far different because there's only going to be so many runs or so many goals. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, there's three point shots and two point shots and things like that. Uh, it's very different. I think one of my strengths in baseball is I, I'm very good at, at getting a good price. You know, like I said, in other sports, I've been good at that as well. But I think that one thing that's kind of overlooked, and I know Adam, you know this, you know this for sure, but a lot of listeners would kind of, um, you know, while they know it's true, they don't realize how true it is. Grabbing a good price is really important. And I think the listeners, I wanted to really stress this point. If you're laying minus 130 when you could be laying minus 121, if you're getting plus 130 when you could be getting plus 140, You really got to do the best you can because that's going to hurt your results a lot by the end of the season. You know, this is a marathon of a season. Uh, Every time that you miss a few cents, you know, you win that underdog and instead of getting plus 140, you got plus 130, Uh, you know, in the moment you say, well, at least I won, you know, no big deal. It is a pretty big deal. You know, you need to get the very best line you possibly can. Uh, I think it's important to say, too, you know, you study the market, see which uh, teams the market wants to bet, see which pitchers the the market wants to bet. And Adam does a great job on his segment on the betters box talking about, you know, the market movement and and saying, you know, uh, where do you think the line's going to move on one team or where has the market been betting it? Um, The market is pretty consistent. And Adam, you know this. I, I think that time and time again, we see them want to bet certain pitchers or we see them want to bet certain teams and it usually doesn't go away after one or two starts. You know, this happens for a while, something uh, big is going to have to change. So many of these line moves I feel like are pretty predictable. I think it's important for people to, to know that, uh, you know, getting the best price in major league baseball is, is supremely important because um, you know, some people might think, well, you know, the spread sports, it's more important because you know, if you get a minus four in basketball instead of minus five, you know, that could make the difference, you know, based on it being a point difference. Sure, it can. But in a money line sport, it's it's more important than most people think as well. Because like I said, if you take a loss at minus 130, when you should have taken a loss at minus 121, that's going to add up a lot in the long run, same way when it comes to, a, to an underdog. Uh, so I think that's really important to start with. And I, I'll say, Uh, My my method of going about uh, Major League Baseball is I try to use a combination of situational spots, traditional numbers, advanced metrics to make my MLB plays. And I'll say right from the top, I don't know these players as well as Adam does. I I don't think hardly anybody knows uh, these baseball players as well as Adam does. And Adam is a fantastic Uh, MLB resource so you know reading his daily content and listening to the betters box certainly very important I think that you can learn a lot from that I don't know the players as well as Adam does what I try to do here is I look for pitcher home road splits day and night splits first half second half splits Uh, that's what I mean as far as traditional numbers in the advanced metrics Adam talks a lot about those I do look at those a lot more than I did a few years ago um, I also look at umpire data a lot, weather, I think that's really important as well, because you can beat the closing line pretty easily uh, with weather by looking at the forecast and knowing, you know, winds are blowing out here, or they're blowing in at this place, but I did want to say that I think as far as those traditional stats, and I'll see what Adam thinks on this one as well, uh, the home road splits as far as starting pitchers are well known, they're well documented, but I think it's important to point out that some pitchers are no good at the beginning of the season. And are much stronger in the second half. And you have other guys who are very good in the month of April. And by the time September rolls around, they stink. And it's pretty consistent on some of those guys. And I don't think the first half, second half splits uh have been talked about as much or as are as well known. So I think that gives them more value as far as a better.
0: Yeah, I think all that stuff is is pretty accurate. The one thing that I don't really look at too much, I don't look too much at umpires, but I have been trying to look a little bit more at the weather stuff, especially know with what we're seeing here as far as the baseball goes so far and you know last year the season only really played in warmer weather so you know things a little bit skewed from that but yeah I mean there are a lot of layers to a baseball handicap and and I think watching the market is a really important one and you know you and I were talking today before we started recording that you know so far I've had basically negative closing line value on just about all the plays that I've made which is not at all the case I mean last year you know, I, I won more games than I lost. I was down a little bit from the juice and and some of the things like that, but had good closing line value. And you know, it, it's always interesting to kind of pick up on who the market will like, who the market won't like. Generally speaking, that's a strength for me. So far this year, I haven't really picked up on it too well. I think part of it is because a lot of people aren't even using this 2020 season that we just saw. But something else about the Major League Baseball market is that you know, you get a lot of arbitrage. You get a lot of middling where big groups, syndicate groups, deep pocketed groups, all of that are just, they're betting one side to come back and play the other side. And they're basically free rolling major league baseball, grabbing their 10, 12 cent middle, whatever it is, you know, and just kind of aggregating their bankroll that way, betting large amounts of dollars on this across multiple accounts or multiple sports books, whatever else. So you will see a lot of different waves of market movement. You'll see a wave on the overnights. You'll see a wave in the morning after the previous day's games have been kind of analyzed and tracked by all the metric sites and all of that. You'll see line moves when the lineup comes out. Then you'll also see line moves that are obvious buyback situations where people are just kind of arbitraging and scraping the market and just sort of playing it that way. But like you said, it's so much different from a spread market where a spread might move a point here and there, you know, something like that over the course of the week or over the course of the afternoon. But in baseball, it's like a living organism. It's just always in some sort of state of flux. So market entry is really important. And for me, you know, producing a gigantic article every day, I submit the plays when I submit the article you know, for transparency and tracking purposes and all of that. But if you are able to watch the market throughout the course of the day, it moves up and down quite a bit. And if you've got a target price in mind, there's a good chance you're going to get there with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, for you writing the article and putting him out at that time, it's a little bit more difficult to, to, you know, necessarily get the very best of the number. And I I think you understand that and people who are reading that understand that, but, you know, um, Somebody that knows baseball as well as you do, Uh, it's really helpful to people. And I don't think I'd be too concerned if I were you just based on a small sample size, uh, not beating the closing line because, you know, we're only this far into the season. I I imagine that will change around. But um, I did want to say as far as the umpire data real quick. Uh, these guys have a lot of control over the game, the home plate umpire. Uh, I think it is pretty important. I, I have a database of all the umpires, you know, their strikeout to walk rate strikes called over the past six years. I don't want to say real quick, because people have asked me uh, over under umpires. There are a couple guys you don't want any part of if you want an over, and that's Miller and Eddings. Those two are absolute under machines. Um, you know, every time Miller's behind home plate, every time Eddings is behind home plate, one of my first leans that I write down is always the under, you know, I don't always play it, but I at least have to look at it. And then um, as far as an over umpire, Marquez is a great example. Um, You know, really small strike zone does not um, does not punch out very many people, a lot of walks with him. Uh, Swish analytics is a good site for that. You know, you can look at umpire factors, park factors, things like that. So For listeners that want to look into that a little bit more, I recommend that site. Uh, You can look at the weather from there. You can also look at what the umpires have done as far as uh, a lot of times they look at it from kind of a fantasy baseball perspective, but we know there's plenty of overlap there when you're looking at, you know, uh, you want a high scoring game. If you're taking uh, players in fantasy baseball, a DFS But you also want to see, you know, what kind of run value you might have if you're taking an over-under. So there is a lot of overlap there. And then one other thing I want to say about the weather, too. Everybody knows that Wrigley weather is important. And we know why they don't put out a total overnight, because the weather is so important. There's a couple others that I thought were uh, pretty interesting that I wanted to point out here really quick, too. Uh, Comerica and Detroit. Uh, with a temperature of 65 or higher and an average wind of 10 miles per hour or more blowing out, the over is 50 and 23 in the last 73 contests. So Comerica has been a really good one when it comes to uh, you know, ballparks where you know an over would make a lot of sense when the weather is uh, you know such that it fits that angle. Uh, I'm kind of looking at these as I as I talk a little bit more. The other one that stands out. The Phillies, uh, Phillies home games with the wind blowing in the under is 36 and 18 with a wind of eight miles per hour or more blowing in and uh, the blowing out. It's done really well there, too. So apparently Citizens Bank is a place where uh, the, the weather matters quite a bit because I said it was 36 and 18 with it blowing in and with it blowing out uh, for the Phillies home games, 85 and 44. So uh, that's going to be one that I'm going to look at a little bit more. I didn't realize it was that impressive. I know Fenway is another one. You know, Fenway, the weather is really important. So just some quick tidbits that people can pay attention to this year. Um, if you have any questions on things like this, you can certainly reach out to me on Twitter at, at Kyle Hunter Picks as well. Uh, but I, I think weather is important. One other thing I want to say, and Adam helped me with this. Uh, I know Adam has harped on this in the past. And he's absolutely right. Uh, defense fielding it's more important than most people think. Um, I don't think the marketplace uh, values fielding enough, you know, these teams that are really good defensively, uh, I think can be underrated uh, by the marketplace. So I think that's something that you want to pay attention to also going forward. And like I said, I try to take a, uh, you know, look at it, look at everything standpoint here. Uh, You know, I don't know the advanced metrics as well as Adam does. I don't know the players as well as he does. Um, I try to look at a little bit of everything, And, you know, it's worked for me. Um, I'm I'm 99 units up since 2010 in Major League Baseball on one unit flat betting. So it's been a really good sport for me. Like I said, Moneyline, I've actually done a little bit better than Totals. But I think there is money to be made in the major league baseball market. It's a long grind. And I, I did want to say bankroll management is really crucial here. And this is a marathon, uh, not a sprint. It, I think it's okay to take off a couple of days in major league baseball. You know, if you need to clear the mind because things have been running bad, I think that's a good time of the year to just say, you know what, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a quick trip, clear the mind. I think it's a good idea because, you know, if your mind's not in the right place in such a long marathon, you know, this, this is a really long season.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and, you know, for me, there's a lot of data, a lot of stuff that I break down and, you know, sometimes I I feel like I can probably overanalyze some of the games, but, you know, I think there are so many edges to be had out there. And and we've talked a lot about metric sites for college basketball and, you know, I wish there were some better ones for college football. Maybe we'll get to that point, but you know, there's just so much stuff out there that you can use for your handicapping process. And, you know, Kyle mentioned umpires and, and some of the weather factors and all that and, it makes sense. A ballpark like Comerica, very, very spacious outfield. One of the best batter's eyes in Major League Baseball. A lot of guys have said that. I know Eno Saris has written an article about that, where it's not a big park for home run power, but it's a really big park for doubles and triples power with that batter's eye, the spacious outfield, all of that. So if you get a boost from the wind, that makes sense. Those are things that I can look at it analytically. Kyle can look at it maybe more qualitatively with the weather. And we can put together why that's an angle that's really, really good. So you can do a lot of that type of stuff with baseball and there are a lot of different things you can take a look at. And as Kyle said, he's always approachable on Twitter, at Kyle Hunter Picks to help you out with any of that baseball stuff. But, man, I'll tell you what, uh, it's, it's going to be weird flying solo for the next several Mondays here, doing the betters box by myself because, you know, since August it, it's been you and I on Mondays and, and I know we did a couple of uh, two-week shows for the NCAA tournament and all of that, but I got to say, on a professional level, I love having you on the show. You give a lot of great insight, a lot of good analysis, a lot of stuff I think is very actionable for our listeners, and and also, too, I mean, look, we've been doing this for a long time. I think we've got a really good rapport with our listeners, a very loyal crowd that we have, uh, but from a personal standpoint, I love doing this show every Monday with you, man. It's, it's great to talk to you. I know we have a lot of the same bitches and the same gripes about the industry, but also, you know, we, we have a lot of good things to share with each other things that help both of us grow as handicappers, but also you just, just being able to talk to you, man. You know, I'm, I'm glad that we started this thing back in 2013 and and, you know, that, uh, that I found you when, when bang the book was, you know, I also had a a handicapper side of the site and that we started doing this together and it's, it's been a great friendship for, for, you know, eight years now. And, uh, you know, I just, I I love chatting with you, man. I love doing the Monday show and I'm going to miss it here throughout the spring and summer.
1: Yeah, I will as, as well, man. I, I share those sentiments, and I, I have to say to the listeners, you know, uh, I think Adam uh, works as hard as anybody I know, and uh, I really respect that a lot, Adam. You know, you, you bust your ass to, to get everything uh, done that you can. You, you cover so many different sports. You know, you put out this show put all the content out there that's very helpful for people. So if you've been tuning into this show, I really suggest you continue to tune into the betters box and and keep checking out Adam's daily article in major league baseball. It will help you. And uh, I, like I said, I also really enjoy doing these shows. You know, I always look forward to doing this, part of the reason this one's so much fun is that Adam does such a good job being prepared for these. You know, we can really bounce ideas off each other. It's a great conversation back and forth. The time really flies in this. So thank you for having me on the show again throughout the course of the season. I certainly appreciate it a lot. Um, also thank you to the listeners, uh, the show. I know there's a lot of loyal listeners, like you said, a lot of great people who I've really loved getting the chance to interact with. Uh, you know, get a chance to interact with quite a few of them. I am approachable, like you said. Um, if you want to reach out to me at Kyle Hunter Picks, Kyle is the email. And again, yeah, man, uh eight years. It's hard to believe it's been that long. You know, but then I think back, you know, when we first were talking. Yeah, my, my son wasn't even born yet and he's seven now, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to believe it's been that long, but I guess it has to have been, you know, we've covered this for quite a while and, you know, I appreciate you a lot. And, uh, my, the fact that you do such great work, you know, like I said, I really respect your work a lot. I have a lot of fun chatting with you and, you know, our friendship is important to me as well. So I appreciate this. And, uh, you know let's let's look forward to uh next football season and uh you know good luck to you in the in the major league baseball season and i hope everybody
0: continues to tune in well certainly good luck to you with the baseball season as well Kyle Hunter professional better over at huntersportspicks.com tell the people what's going on over there right now man
1: so you can head over to huntersportspicks.com uh you check out all my premium packages there uh, the rest of the NBA season is up. I have done well in the NBA this year. And if some people have said, why aren't you doing more NBA? You're better in it than college basketball. I still don't think that's the case. You know, it's smaller sample size and, and, uh, you know, long-term, I think college basketball will do better. I know that's probably not a great sales pitch because, you know, NBA is what's left, but, Uh, Just trying to be honest and transparent, you know, uh, up 99 units, flat betting, like I said, one unit per game Uh, since 2010 in major league baseball. You can mention ATS radio. I did a newsletter special, 399 bucks for early bird. That's through April 8th. You can reach out to me at Kyle Hunter picks on Twitter
0: and Kyle Hunter sports com. Yeah. Make sure you follow Kyle on Twitter again at Kyle Hunter picks. And like I said, man, it's a treat. I love it every Monday. I'll miss it, but You know what? I think it's probably good for you to take a little bit of a step back here as well and, you know, do the family thing as the weather gets better and have a little bit more time for all those kinds of things. So always appreciate you, man. Always appreciate your insights on the show. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, talk to you again soon. I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter. Once again, at Kyle Hunter picks on Twitter, huntersportspicks.com is the website coming up on Tuesday. Brian blessing. will join me. We'll chat about the masters. Also take a look at NASCAR at Martinsville, Maybe some NHL stuff. Who knows? We'll see how long we spend uh, on the Masters, which will, of course, will be the highlight of that Tuesday segment. Thursday, the betters box. And then going forward, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday with ATS Radio. Monday, Thursday, the betters box. Tuesday, Brian Blessing, because we talk golf and NASCAR and some of those other markets. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.